I'd like us to turn with me in our Bibles back again to the passage where scripture was read, and I'm just going to read uh, verse 10 and 11. Joshua chapter 1, read verse 10 and 11. The book of, the whole chapter of Joshua 1 is a good chapter for leaders to pay attention to and to see how much, how many times the counsel to be strong and to be of good courage as Joshua was now being transferred as the leader of Israel, taking over from Moses, and, and how God gave him his charter to lead his people. In verse 10, the scripture says, Then Joshua commanded the officers of the people, saying, Pass through the camp and command the people, saying, Prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving you to possess. And I will stay with that for the time being. Let us bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, on this beautiful day as we come to worship you, we invite, Lord, your blessings. We know you are here blessing us and we ask you to come into our hearts so that we can worship you in spirit and in truth bless your words now to our hearts we pray through Jesus' name amen i'd like to speak today on the topic loyal leaders and faithful followers in other words leading and being led. God has always had some reluctant leaders. When we look through scriptures, we see that there have been some individuals who have demonstrated reluctance in accepting the mantle of leadership. Remember Moses, he didn't want to do, he didn't want the job. And he flatly outlined to God that God should find somebody else to do it. Jeremiah, another leader who was reluctant, he thought that he was too young for the job. Jonah didn't like being a prophet to Nineveh. And he went to great lengths and depths to avoid being called to lead. And David, although he was anointed, he was willing to wait on God to remove Saul before he took the place of leadership in Israel. So there have always been reluctant leaders. I look into my very own lives and recognize that even in my own situation, I was reluctant. Reluctant to take on the mantle of leadership. But I'm amazed at what God can do with individuals once you submit your lives into his hands. 
You see, reluctant leaders, most of the times, turn out to be good leaders. It, it is rather those who are power-hungry and, and eager to assert their authority that often do more harm than good. And what I've observed, observed, brothers and sisters, is that there are many reluctant leaders in the church than, there, than, than are those who are hungry for power and authority. In fact, some of you might be sitting here this very moment thinking, well, if pastor is going to be talking about leadership, then I might as well take a nap because I'm not, he's not talking to me. I'm certainly not a leader and I'll never be a leader. And so I, I just want to get an idea of the leaders we have here in church today. And may I ask, how many of you are Sabbath school teachers? Just raise your hand. All right. How many of you have positions of leadership in the church? As a ministry leader, as an assistant, a leader in some small groups, whatever. Anybody else? All of those who have some form of leadership position, raise your hand. Then what about at work? How many of you have some leadership role at work? All right. How many of you have ever invited somebody to church? Raise your hand. You have sometime suggested or invited somebody to church. Raise your hand. What about, have you ever prayed with someone or prayed for someone? Raise your hand. Okay, the hands are all going up. Uh, how many of you have ever tried to let your light shine by being a good influence to others? Maybe I should say, if you have never done that, raise your hand. Because all of us would, have, would raise our hand. And that makes all of us leaders in God's cause. You see, leaders are really those who God have called to help his image be sustained and formed in somebody else. And we are all leaders in God's eyes. We're all leaders in one area or another. And we all need to know the biblical principles of leadership and authority. And Joshua offers us a model of godly biblical leadership. And that's why we're looking at this passage today. And let's look at some qualities of leadership, of a successful leader. And the first quality of a successful leader is being in touch with God. That came out in our lesson study this week. Did you pick that up? Where it says, if you're going to go on errands for God, you must first be with God. Remember with the lesson we studied this week? That's, that's there. It's very important. We cannot go on God's errand and we have not been with Him. We must first be with Him before we can be about Him. The first lesson we need to understand is that we as leaders must be in touch with God. 
This is the major difference between worldly leadership styles and godly leadership. Godly leadership requires a growing, developing, daily relationship, daily walk, and commitment to God. You see, God made it clear, brothers and sisters, in Joshua, or to Joshua, that to be successful, Joshua had to stay in touch with his leader. Verse 8, 7 and 8 emphasizes that every leader needs to know God's word and God's will. It is important for us to understand that even though you are leading others, you must be led by God. For us to lead others, we must be led by God. So in verse 7 and 8, the Bible says in Joshua 1, Keep your Bibles there, Joshua 1. It says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law which Moses, my servants, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left that you may prosper wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate in it day and night that you may observe and do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. I'm reading from the New King James Version. So God called Joshua, and God pointed out to him that the first lesson you need to learn as a leader is that you have to be in touch with me. And my words, the book of the law, God's word to us. He said, you, it shall not depart from your mouth. You shall meditate on it day and night. And leaders, we cannot lead unless we spend time with God in his word. We need to. We need to spend time with God's word. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 and 9, Paul says, But we were gentle among you, just as nursing mothers cherishes their own children. Verse 8, So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our, our own lives, because you had become dear to us. Verse 9, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil, for laboring night and day that we might be might not be burdened to any of you, we preach to you the gospel of God. Here Paul is defining to, for us what true leadership is all about. He used the word mother or the term mother so that we can learn much about leadership from the characteristic of a nursing mother. You see, good leaders nurture and care for the ones they are leading. It is important for us to recognize that as leaders in God's cause, God has placed us in that position to nurture and to care those whom he has given to us. So leaders are like mothers, are loving nursing mothers. Isn't it amazing how Loving nursing mothers care more about their children than their very own selves. Let's note something in regard to nursing when a mother nurses her baby. You see, it is important 
for her to eat well. She needs to make sure that she is having proper meals with the necessary nutrition. And why is that so? Because what she eats is what her baby will eventually eat. You know, I am told that nursing mothers or nursing babies oftentimes develop indigestion and colic because of what the mother is eating. Mothers, am I right? And in like manner, brothers and sisters, in the church, the members feed off the leaders. And what the leaders are eating spiritually is what the church eats. And if the leaders of the church are not eating spiritually, if they are not in tune with God and his word, if they do not have a real and vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ, like those mothers who are not eating well, no matter how much they desire to nourish the people, they just can't because they have nothing to give. They are spiritually dried up. And so leaders, you have to pay attention to your spiritual diet. We have to pay attention to that. We have to keep in touch with God. And so remember the first order for success of a spiritual, of a leader is being in touch with God. Don't give up on him. The second quality of a successful leader is that he or she demonstrate a caring attitude. And we continue with the mother illustration. You see, mothers not only feed their children and teaches them how to walk, that they are to look both sides when crossing the street and how to eat at the table. She not only teaches her children facts, but equally as important, a, mo a good mother shares her life with her children as well. And the reason she does that is because she loves them so much. She is involved deeply in their lives. Likewise, leaders must be more than just teachers of facts. They must be involved in the lives of their people. You know, it takes time. It takes effort. And, and can many times lead to disappointment. But like Paul, when we love them as much, we are willing to do it. Because you see, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. So the second very important aspect for leadership or leaders is that we need to care for those whom we are leading. Love them. Love the brethren. You know, it's hard to lead Christians because they can be very hard to be led. But we still have to love them because we serve a loving God. The third quality of a successful leader is that he or she is willing to take tough stands. I read to you Joshua 1, 10 and 11, where Joshua gave the command. He, he called the officers, he called his leaders, his associates, and he said, go through the camp 
pass through the camp and command the people. Don't beg them or try to urge them. Command them. Tell them to prepare provisions for themselves. To get things together. To pack up because in three days we are going to cross this Jordan. And we are going to possess the land which God has given us. As leaders, we have to know what God wants of us and communicate that as strongly as we possibly can in the most loving and even gentle way, but with a stern way, what God's will is for God's people. You see, because Joshua had been with God, he knew what the people needed to do, and he didn't hesitate to give the commands. Every leader must face the time when he is going to make a decision which sometimes may appear unpopular. To be completely candid, I must be honest and tell you that being a leader isn't as glamorous as many think. There are some times, there are some painful aspects of leadership that one oftentimes suffers from. Pain of criticism of fatigue, of loneliness, of rejection. You see, every normal, every, uh, every normal, well-adjusted person wants to be liked. But a leader is not always liked. But a leader has to be strong. You have to, at times, take tough stands. The next quality of a successful leader is his or her ability to delegate responsibilities. And Joshua did this by working through his chain of command. Verse 10, you notice Joshua said to the leaders what they were to do. He gave authority and he empowered his other leaders. You see, leadership is not a one-man band. Some people, they like praise so much that they want to, they will kill themselves trying to do it all so that they can get all the accolades. But when you delegate, you are training and you are building people, you are building successors. And even Jesus, our Lord, who is the master of all leaders, he took breaks and he allows the disciples to carry on the work. Even Jesus, who could do anything and everything better than everybody else, he sat back at times and he sent the disciples out, go and do it. And so leaders... Let us share the work. Because in sharing the work, you are building others to be leaders as well. Delegate. And delegation is not neglecting your work. Because I've heard some leaders say they delegate. But really what they were doing is neglecting the work. And others had to step in to do it because they were not doing anything. And so, delegation is not the same as neglecting. 
The fifth quality of a successful leader is that he or she has a plan of action. You know, this is more than a slogan. And if you read the book of Joshua here, he had a three-point plan of action. Verse 11 says of Joshua 1, that he commands them to do three things. To prepare, to cross over, and to possess. You see, you cannot have a proper plan of action unless you know what is the purpose and mission of the ministry you lead. And that sometimes is a problem. You know, we individuals sometimes are thrust into ministry and they don't know what is the goal of the ministry. What is the reason for the ministry? We need to know that so we can devise a plan to accomplish what the ministry is, 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 is about accomplishing. And I must remind you that a plan is not the same as an idea. An idea may be something you want to achieve, but a plan is the process, the step-by-step -step process to achieve that. I may have an idea of a house, but to build that house, I need a plan. And the plan will tell me where to dig, where to put walls, where to put roof, and so forth. That's the plan. And we all need to have a plan of action to achieve what we want to achieve. A plan of action cannot only be what you want to see done or what others want, but more so what God wants to be done. When you first allow the Holy Spirit to impress upon you what is to be done, then you can move forward because you know what the plan of heaven is. Now what about, we're talking about leaders. What about those who are followers or those who are being led? Because the message is about leaders and followers. What is it that made Joshua successful as a leader while Moses struggled in the same position? Does successful leaders require successful followers? Do the attitude of the followers have an influence on the success or failure of their leaders? And I believe the reason for Joshua's success as Israel leader is seen in these verses of Joshua 1. Just as we need to examine our leadership skills, we also need to examine our followership skills too. First, a community of successful followers is willing to put aside personal interest for the good of the whole community. So as a follower, it's not just about me, but it's the good of us all and will allow my leader to carry that, that leadership to all of us. In Joshua chapter 1, verse 12 through 15, the Bible says, And to the Reubenites, the Gadites, and half the tribe of Manasseh, Joshua spoke, saying, Remember the word which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you, saying, The Lord your God is giving you rest and is giving you this land your wives your little ones and your livestock 
shall remain in the land which Moses gave you on this side of the Jordan. But you shall pass before your brethren armed, all your mighty men of valor, and help them. Verse 15. Until the Lord has given your brethren rest, as he gave you, and, all, and they also have taken possession of the land which the Lord your God is giving them, then you shall return to the land of your possession and, and enjoy it, which Moses, the Lord's servant, gave you on this side of the Jordan towards the sunrise. Now here was the situation. These tribe, the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Manasseh, their parcel of land was before the Jordan. They got their parcel of land. Moses had given them. But there was another parcel of land where the other people were to receive. And, Mo and Joshua commanded these, his followers. He said, listen, leave your flock, your wives, your children here. Arm yourself. Get the best of men that you have. The strongest. And let us all go over there and prepare the place. Drive out those whom to be driven out. Prepare the place so that the rest of the people can go and occupy their property as well. What do we see here? Where even though they had already received their portion of land. And they were now being made comfortable. That they gave that up to help out those who were still in need. And so as followers, we see here in this, in this chapter... Lessons for leaders and for followers. Sometimes we have to give up our comfort, come out of our comfort zone to help others so that they can be comfortable too. That's what it's all about. You see, this bit of Israel's history is a testimony against selfishness. It is a statement of what it means to be a part of the family of God. We declare ourselves as a family we have to help one another. There is no room for selfishness in God's kingdom. We are a family and within the family, those who are rich should share with those who are poor. We are called to provide for the needs of the widows and the orphans. Our responsibility to each other and to, to each other and to each other's need is never finished. As Paul puts it, let no man remain outstanding. Let no man debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. And that's what followers need to understand. It's for the good of the entire group. Let us adhere to that lesson and let us seek to help one another so that our leaders can achieve the goal God has given them to carry out. The second characteristic of a successful follower is their willingness to be united in a common task. And listen how the people responded to Joshua in verse 16 through to 18. They said, so they answered Joshua saying, all that you command us, we will do. And wherever you send us, we will go. Just as we heeded Moses in all things, so we will heed you. Only the Lord your God be with you as he was with Moses. And they even said, whoever rebel 
against your command and does not heed your words, in all that you command them or him shall be put to death. So only be strong and of good courage. Here the people pledge their loyalty to obey and to follow the instructions of Joshua. And they did this because they knew that Joshua was in tune with God and that God was leading Joshua so they are willing to allow Joshua to direct them. And the unity of the church is the most powerful force against the army of the devil. The disunity of the church, I told you the unity is the most powerful force against Satan's army. On the other hand, the disunity of the church is Satan's most precious ally. You see, every church that is torn apart by disunity and disorder, by pride and selfishness, Satan stands and laughs and mocks them at their, fruitful, their fruitless effort. Every family where there is division between husband and wife, to, between parents and children, the devil just stands around and rejoices. He dances with joy. But every church that stands united in love by the power of God's Holy Spirit, who are made one by their selfless concerns for each other's need, Satan is is unable to stop them from marching on to victory. Every family where each member is respected and cherished, where love is freely given and is freely received, Satan can only but stand silent. So successful followers listen to their God-given leaders' plan of action. They trust them because they know that they are in touch with God. Then they become united in the pursuit of a common goal. And so, brothers and sisters, in this chapter, we see God instructing Joshua time and time and time again to be strong and be courageous. You know, another word for courageous is boldness. Be bold. Such easy instructions. But how is he to be strong and be courageous? How can he be bold? Let me tell you that we should not be bold in our own abilities or in our own strength. But we must be bold because God's Holy Spirit dwells within us. Yes, God does grant his presence to those whom he calls to serve. And those people are bold by God's presence. You know, we can stand on God's promises. Jesus, when he was leaving, he says, Go into all the world, preach the gospel, teach the word of God, baptize, and, 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 and disciple people. And I will be with you always to the end of this world. That is a promise of God that we can stand on. We can stand on God's promises. He promises to be with us and to lead us to victory. Though God's servant Moses 
was by this time deceased. His plans and promises, God's plans and promises were still the same for Joshua. The God of Moses is the God of Joshua. He makes his promises. He keeps them. If Joshua is to be strong and be courageous, he must stand upon the promises of God's word. If we are to accomplish what God has called us to do and instructs us to do, we as well must stand on the promises of God. The problem, my friends, is that many are sitting on the premises and instead of standing on the promises. Did you hear me? Many are sitting on the premises instead of standing. They're sitting on God's premises instead of standing on his promises. We need to have a sense of God's presence. In verse 5, it says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. Leaders, elders, deacons, deaconesses, as we prepare to set you aside, I want to admonish you and to let you know that the Bible promise, God promised Joshua, he's promising you today. In verse 5 of chapter 1, he says, No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. That was a promise to Joshua. It's a promise to you as well. How can Joshua lead with confidence? How can he confront the battles that was ahead of him? He could do so because the same God that was with Moses is with him. How can we face the struggles ahead of us? How can we lead God's people into his promised land? Because the same God that was with Moses and was with Joshua is with us. A God that will not forsake us. A God that will never fail. Every place that the soul of God said every soul, every place that the sole of your foot touched would become their land. And every step that Joshua took, God was with him. Today, as children of God, he has promised never to leave or to forsake us. He not only is with us, but he is in us. Finally, let us stay the path. In verse 7 and 8, it says, Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according as the law of Moses, which my servant command you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. If Joshua is going to accomplish what God has planned, he must not turn to the left or to the right. He must not compromise. He must not become distracted. He must not become detoured from what the will of God is. He must stay the path set before him because faithfulness is the key. Brothers and sisters, friends and loved ones, it is very easy to be distracted by the things of the world. So many things are happening around us. We can be so 
we can be so caught up with the happenings around us, but sometimes it is those very things we should take actions against. You have probably heard the statement that he is going a hundred miles an hour in the wrong direction. It is important, brothers and sisters, that if we are going to be bold in our actions, that we are on the right path. Sometimes we are going to get tired of the grind. Sometimes we are going to feel like giving up. Sometimes we are going to feel like giving in. But by God's grace, let us stay the path until the end. Because God blesses faithfulness. God rewards faithfulness. God says, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of righteousness. Compromises lead to chaos. Distractions lead to destructions. Faithfulness leads to fulfillment. We are being faithful. Are we being faithful? Or is it possible that we have gotten off track of the path that God has called us to follow? Whether you are leading or you are being led, let us remember we all have a part to play in building up God's kingdom here in Belleville. God has called you for such a time as this. You are the one he's laying his mantle on. Let us not allow the devil to intimidate us or to discourage us. But let us be faithful because faithfulness leads to fulfillment. Remember Jesus' promise to give us a crown of life if we be faithful. Remember he says, he'll be said, because you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many things. God wants to give us a crown of life, but we must be faithful. Faithful as leaders, faithful as followers. Remember, the interesting thing is, we are all leaders and we are all followers. Isn't that interesting? We are all leaders and we are all followers. But whatever role we are playing at times, at different times we may play different roles, let us all be faithful. Let us remember that we are only carrying out the plan of God and God never fails. If we fail it's because we have been distracted or diverted off the path that he has placed us on. But by God's grace, let us be faithful. You see, we are living in the last stages of earth's history. There are those who may want us to believe that life will go on forever. But we have read our Bibles, we know our Bibles, that this, there is coming an end. That there is a God who came and died for us and says, if I go, I will come back. And we know Jesus is coming back soon. Let us be faithful. Let us do our part. Let us trust him. Let us anchor our faith in him and follow him and allow him to lead us. So that by his grace, his kingdom will be built up. And one of these days when he said, 
He that is faithful, let him be faithful still, that we will be classified in that number so that we can go home to live with him where we'll spend the ceaseless ages of eternity is my wish and my prayer for us all. May God bless us all.